welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian Laura Zaro-Kopinski, and today I'm speaking with Eve Radsky about her new book, Find Your Unicorn Space, Reclaim Your Creative Life in a Too Busy World. Booklist says, creativity is built on curiosity, connection, and completion, and Radsky gives practical suggestions for obtaining these goals despite the limits of COVID-19 and daily challenges. Her friendly tone is encouraging and reassuring to readers trying to relocate their life spark and the time to pursue it. Eve received her bachelor's from the University of Michigan and her JD from Harvard Law School. After working in foundation management at JP Morgan, she founded the Philanthropy Advisory Group to advise families and charitable foundations on best practices. She was raised by a single mom in New York City and now lives in Los Angeles with her husband and their three children. Eve Rotsky, welcome to A Bookish Home. I've really been looking forward to chatting with you. Thank you, Laura. I love your podcast and I love librarians. So thank oh, you thank for having you. me. <laughs> thank you. Um, well, I've been hoping to have you on since I read um, Fair Play, um, which for listeners who aren't familiar with that one, it's um, Fair Play, a game-changing solution for when you have too much to do and more life to live, which I think lots of us can relate to. <laughs> um, so for readers who aren't familiar with your work, can you tell us a bit about the first book and then how that's led to this follow-up? Thank you, Laura. Uh, as I like to say, I had a blueberries breakdown moment that led me on a, a new path. Uh, at, when I was th in third grade, they had a what do you want to be when you grow up board? And it definitely didn't say gender division of labor expert, Laura. It said probably like <laughs> astronaut. But what happened to me 10 years ago was my husband, Seth, sent me a text that said, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. And I had this very uh, visceral reaction to that text because it was a day right after my second son was born and I had a breast pump and a diaper bag in the passenger seat of my car. I had gifts for a newborn baby to return in the back seat of my car. I had recently left the traditional workforce. Now I say forced out, I was forced out. So I had started my own law firm. I had a client contract in my lap. Um, and every time I was sort of hit the stop sign because I was getting Seth's texts. I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries when I was already texting and driving racing to get my three-year-old at his toddler transition program. Every time I would stop at a stop sign on that race, uh, a pen would sort of back up and stab me in the vagina. That's what I remember of that day. <laughs> and so from the stabbed in vagina day, stabbed in the pen, stabbed with a pen in the vagina day, plus uh, receiving that text, it all allowed me to really take stock of my life. I had a really hard day, I remember crying on the side of the road, thinking to myself, I had lost everything. I had lost in three years since my first son was born and I had had Ben, I had lost my name. Uh, everyone was calling me Zach's mom for three years. I had lost my identity. I had lost a lot of my career, a lot of my purpose um, under this gaze of being a good mom, under this idea that somehow doing all the domestic work, childcare and housework, should default to me. So Fair Play was a journey out of that darkest place that um, I had been at that point in my life. Many of us have had those moments. I have I have a two and four year old, so I can sort of picture that moment in the car just losing it. You know, I, I definitely want to get into the the second book as well. But you know, as I was reading Fair Play, it did get me thinking a lot you know, why do you think we're still here? <laughs> like, you know, mm -hmm. 
um, I think a lot of us, um, you know, I'm in my 30s. I think a lot of us probably went into marriage and having kids thinking that we were going to be at this totally equal nirvana, and then that doesn't quite happen. So even at this time, why do you think that women are still shouldering so much of that invisible labor and so much of the child rearing and household work? Well, I know why. Um, it's <laughs> it's actually the theme, and it, it does get to the second book uh, as well, because everything everything I do, Laura, is now centered on this idea, this uh, this place, this pinnacle that I want our society to get to, which is that all time is created equal. So what I realized in writing Fair Play, because as a mediator, my day job, as you said so nicely, I work for families that look like the HBO show Succession. <laughs> and truth is actually stranger than fiction. I could write that show and even weirder things. Uh, I can come back on for another for another episode about that. But what what is interesting about meeting a mediator is that we're often taught the presenting problem is not the real problem. And so the home presents really dangerous because you think you're having a fight over who left the sponge in the sink or uh, the laundry in the dryer. Now it's all musty and wrinkled um, or who's getting the blueberries, who's the fulfiller of whose smoothie needs. Um, but what's really happening is we live in a society where men's time is guarded. It's guarded as if it's finite uh, and it's like diamonds. And women's time is treated as if it's infinite, like sand. And that's what I came to realize in my research over 10 years. And this happens everywhere, Laura. Women enter a male profession, salaries automatically go down. We say to women things like breastfeeding is free when it's really an 1800 hour a year job. And then what starts happening when we're living in oppressive systems like that is that even couples who are not heterosexual start to fall into these gendered assumptions and patterns. Whereas I have a big data set of gay uh, fathers and a lot of uh, these couples tell me that people come up to them and say, who's the mother? Instead of learning from couples who don't have those gendered expectations, we try to fit people into these expectations. And so what happens is that we internalize it. And so a lot of unicorn space and fair play is about women or people who identify with women to spirit people, femmes. Women are taught to say things to ourselves like, of course, I do the child care and the housework because my job is more flexible. Even though if a woman's a doctor, a man's a lawyer, we, studies show that she says it's more flexible. You switch it. Uh, she's the lawyer. He's the doctor. Ta-da, her job is more flexible. Mm. We're, we're taught to say, well, my partner makes more money than me, so I might as well do what's my role. I should be doing all the unpaid labor in the home. We're taught to say in the time it takes me to tell him, her, they what to do, I should do it myself. We're taught to say we're better multitaskers, even though there's no difference. There's no uh, neuroscientific difference in in the gender and how we multitask. It's bad for everyone. We're taught to say in the time it takes me, and we're taught to say, yeah, I can find the time. My partner is better at focusing on one task at a time. So I think what I'm here to say to you is that there's actually no way to find time. We just get 24 hours in a day. There's just different expectations over how women are supposed to use our time. And God forbid we try to use it 
uh, other than being a parent and or a partner and or professional, and by professional, I mean anyone who works for pay or who works in the home, then that's when we start to get societal shaming, internalized uh, guilt, and that's why we end up losing our unicorn space. So true. And I, <clears throat> I love how, and I know this leads into unicorn space too, just how you talk about permission to be interesting. And I think yes. that is so important. And I, I feel like I've been saying that a lot to myself lately, because some things don't fall under the, you know, family duties, professional duties. But I do want to, I, I just wanted to mention one thing too, that I was thinking about it. I was, I, I was reading Fair Play is I feel like what I've seen unfold in, you know, in my life and so many friends' lives is, and I'm sure you have all the data on this, but you know, if, if we are trained to think, <clears throat> well, if my partner makes more money than me, then their career is more important. Hence, you know, I will try to be more flexible and take on more of the domestic and child rearing, but then sort of so often the, you know, female dominated industries just are systemically paid less <laughs> that, you yeah. know, it, it just really puts us in a, in a corner. I, I'm just, I'm sure you saw patterns of that in your research. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, our society, the dirty little secret, Laura, right, is that we are built, our society is built on the backs of the unpaid labor of women. So we tolerate women in the workforce, but um, this is the cycle. The cycle is if we believe that our partners do less childcare and housework because they make more money, what happens is that 75% of our wage gap, the things you're talking about, are due to the discrimination against mothers because they do childcare and housework. And so then it just goes on and on and on and the cycle repeats for a hundred years or since the industrial revolution. And so this is really a cultural movement for, for us to work less as a society we just saw a great resignation of 4.4 million people. This is not just about privilege. The people who are resigning are essential workers saying, I need more creativity in my life. I need more space to be human. This is about our humanity. This is ultimately about the fight to make an hour holding a child's hand at the doctor, at the pediatrician's office, just as valuable as an hour in the boardroom. Yes. And that requires all of us, right? It requires all of us because if we think it's as valuable, if we change those societal expectations to understand the value, the humanity in this unpaid labor, um, then we will, men will do it and then things will change. Um, and so that's, that it's a big, big ask, but the good news is even though we're breathing polluted air, Laura, um, we still have to breathe. <laughs> And so I've always been someone who feels like the best combination of activism is fighting for those big systemic changes while also taking agency in your own life. Mm -hmm. And can you tell us a bit about, you know, how you have, well, I guess first sort of how you describe unicorn space to somebody and how um, you've carved that out, how you've seen other women carve that out, especially um, I think you were writing this in the midst of COVID. So I think um, there's a good sense of reality in the book, which I appreciate. Well, yeah, I write about in the book how, you know, even with living with fair play for years now, um, 
our systems got all messed up again as the pandemic fell on us. And I write about trying to reclaim uh, uninterrupted attention because that's really um, the weapon. The weapon of the marginalized uh, is uninterrupted attention because it gives us the space to ideate, to tinker, to dream. And I talk about how I started wearing an unavailable post-it note on my chest um, because I've forgotten how to communicate what I needed. And I think carving out unicorn space, what is it? Well, it's not a hobby. It's not self-care. It's not friendships. What unicorn space is, is the active pursuits, active, which means ongoing, even if it doesn't happen all day, the active pursuit of something that makes you come alive. So I'm going to argue, Laura, that this podcast is a unicorn space for you. I was just going to say that, actually. I was just thinking that. <laughs> because it has the three el crucial elements. So the secret formula for fair play was boundaries, systems, and communication. You need all three of those things to thrive. This book, Unicorn Space, is about the secret formula of curiosity plus connection plus completion. And so what I mean by that, so my friends say, well, what do you mean curiosity? I'm curious about scrolling my friend's Venmo transactions. And I said, no, not that type of curiosity. But Laura, you're curious about reading and you're getting all these ideas uh, from these different authors. And then you take the step to connect with them. And then the hardest part is the completion. Even if the interview didn't go well or it wasn't edited well or the dog is barking, you upload it somewhere and you started. And then you said, I'm okay with this in the world right now for people to listen to. Yeah. That cycle is linked to mental health, physical health. And it's probably, I would argue more important, even than exercise, uh, that daily practice. Uh, we know now that creativity is associated with daily flourishing. And that's what I care about because the other types of flourishing, you know, happiness without meaning, Laura, is, you know, in my research, um, that's hedonistic well-being. You know, that's a lot of binge watching Netflix and emotional eating, which I did a lot of <laughs> during the pandemic. Didn't we all? It doesn't leave still you. Still do. Yes, still do. But it doesn't leave, it's like empty calories. It doesn't leave you fulfilled long-term. Whereas meaning without happiness is something I do every day. It's called parenting. I don't get much happiness at all. I mean, the studies show people would rather have a root canal than parent, which is by studies, I also mean me. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's existentially meaningful, but but it does not lead to, to, to this daily flourishing, uh, this daily happiness. So when you can be at the intersection of happiness and meaning, which is these unicorn space activities, whether it's Hindu astrology, as my friend found during the pandemic, or beauty uh, a nurse in Texas tells me that because the hospital is so industrial on her way to work at lunch and after she comes home, she takes one picture a day with a Nikon she found at um, at Sam's Club. So it's, it's this idea of you staying in active pursuit. And that is really, really important in times of disruption like now. I love that. And I think part of the reason why I keep um, coming back to that whole idea of permission to be interesting, it's sort of like um, your unicorn space doesn't have to pay your bills. It doesn't have to, um, you know, serve your family. It, it's just something 
um, that you want to do and you don't have to necessarily justify it, which I like, or justify the time spent on it. Um, is that sort of a common stumbling block, do you think, for women, just sort of um, justifying that unicorn space time? Oh my God, yes. And I think that's why this book is different than other creativity books, because, and maybe that'll be jarring for some people, and maybe that'll be good for some people. Um, I, I had to honor my data, Laura. I couldn't just jump into what I was seeing in the patterns from the 750 individuals I had interviewed, this curiosity plus connection plus completion. That's the program. But the first over 100 pages of the book is devoted to the hurdles because there were three distinct hurdles that kept coming up over and over and over again for marginalized populations, for people who identified as, as the anything other than non, as anything other than white and Christian and male. The hurdles are number one, as you said, this, this permission to be unavailable, that mm. stumbling block of saying, do I even deserve to be unavailable for my roles? Because for so long, we're told, what's your next milestone? What's your next milestone? What's your next milestone? And a lot of them are in service of, like you said, money, of course, right? We, I mean, we need that to live. But, you know, your, your professional goals, your goals as a parent, um, and if not a goal as a parent, um, if you're a woman, you're going to be forced and pushed into that role. And people keep asking you if you don't do it. But, you know, if you push that back, then your role as a partner and even if not that, then you're being pushed back on the, the professional boundaries, because if you don't have caregiving responsibilities, people are expected to be in their chair working 20 hours a day, uh, always on. And so that's why I was saying earlier, this idea of uninterrupted attention for something you love is actually, a, it's subversive. It's, it's, it's important. But even when I say it to people, oh, can you spend time, you know, for your floral arranging? People think of it as a hobby. And, and, and the number one thing that people associated with a hobby was infrequent. I'll get to it when I'm done with my to-do list, which never ends. The idea of prioritizing this time, Laura, is no, people don't do it. And then mm -hmm. if they do feel like they have a permission to be unavailable, then the second stumbling block came, which is that, oh, I, I, I carved out the time, Eve, but now I feel extreme guilt and shame. And then if they got past that, then it was other people saying, what are you doing? And so then they couldn't ask for what they needed. So there were three stumbling blocks, this permission to be unavailable, this guilt and shame dilemma that we become, you know, sort of subject to, and then the permission to be able to use our voice to ask for what we need. So true. And I think that whole idea of kind of being the, the martyr mother, which I know you talk about in the book, and it makes me think too of why we so need your fair play system in the first book as well. It's very hard to have that uninterrupted mental space when you constantly have in your head, oh, you know, um, I've got to schedule the, the dentist appointment and oh, the kids have outgrown their shoes and we need to call the plumber and, you know, just the endless, you know, mental load that women have. So if we can share some of that. And then, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about lately, just that whole idea of how it is so subversive, so subversive for women to take back their mental space for creativity. Um, 
in relation to, to um, I feel like I've been reading some different books lately on, you know, the preoccupation with body image and dieting and just how that is such a time suck for women's mental space as well. It's like we have all these things trying to keep us from, you know, thinking deeply, from being creative, from being activists or whatever it is. So, and that was going to kind of leave me with one of my other questions too. You know, as we try to work on some of this in our own lives, since this is such a systemic problem too for women, how, I think I struggle sometimes with how to help, what to do, how to change things, you know, so that when my daughter is my age, maybe she's not facing some of the same difficulties. Well, this podcast is it. And I don't mean that facetiously. Um, activism is comes across in many different ways, Laura. And so the, you taking time to be by yourself in a space to trade in ideas is your mm. activism. And mm. I think that that is how I want people, when you sit down to arrange florals and you say, well, I could do that or I could go to Michael's to bring in the craft stamps that my school asked for tomorrow and instead emailing the school to say, sorry, we couldn't get craft stamps, <laughs> right? It is, that is um, subversive and important because it gets back to what you said earlier that this didn't just happen. This is by design. This is by design. The powers that be stay powers that be because people can't, rise up to challenge those powers that be because they are so damn stressed and burnt out. That is on purpose. Uh, it is not by, you know, serendipitously that every single woman is compared to these ideal bodies, right? I mean, we spend, as you said, hours and hours um, of our lives trying to shrink, <laughs> trying to be smaller. Um, and there's a really important metaphor there. I think for me, um, gaining weight during the pandemic actually felt really liberating because as I started to write Unicorn Space and spend less time on what I ate, some of my mind space started to free up. In addition to, obviously, as you said before, that I have the privilege of a partner who over time with fair play in, my, in this journey takes on many, many cards, you know, with the full ownership mindset, that's the fair play metaphor. There's a hundred cards and it's a simple, simple game. When you have it, you take ownership um, of that task, not simple because of the guilt and shame and what we're conditioned to be, but simple in the concept, just like unicorn space is simple in the concept, uninterrupted attention for something you love should be a duh. Um, it's a duh for our kids. But uh, the idea of, of leaning into our own dreams, uh, it, it sort of stops the second we start to fill uh, these societal roles. It's so inspiring. And I'm going to keep thinking of just, just that word subversive. I'm going to keep coming back to and focus on being subversive than rather uh, being guilty for, uh, you know, taking time yes. or saying Love no to it. certain things just really speaks to my inner, you know feminist rebel. So. I love it. You are a rebel. You are. And by the way, being a librarian is a rebel. Mm. I think trading in ideas, again, being able to introduce new ideas to people, that is really important in a time where a lot of people aren't, don't have access to ideas. 
because they're stuck in an echo chamber. And so I think we all have ability to be activists when we tap into a return to our values. And I think that's really the, the crux of unicorn space is understanding your curiosities and making sure that those are aligned, not with extrinsic milestones that someone else designed for you, but really aligned with your values as you see yourself today and, and slightly into the future. I love that. There's so many nuggets. I'm going to have to go back and write down so much of what you've said. <laughs> well, I wanted to just ask you, I know, um, you know, for fair play, Hello Sunshine and Reese Witherspoon, we're recommending the book. And I think I read there's going to be a documentary and, and a podcast too. Could you kind of talk about um, just what's been happening with um, all this work and bringing it out into the world? Yes, there's some exciting things happening. Uh, we just launched a podcast with iHeartMedia called Time Out. It's with my friend, Dr. Aditi Nirokar. She's uh, a really important doctor around stress and resilience. And so I wanted to make sure we had the science behind what we're saying here around living a creative life and reclaiming your time. So you could listen to that. That's called Time Out. And then, yes, please watch out for the documentary. We are um, working with streamers now to decide where, where it's going to live. Um, but it's going to be a fair play documentary, which followed couples. We couldn't get all 75 couples we interviewed, but we're following couples during the pandemic. And you'll get to see what, what their fair play journey looks like. Oh, I can't wait to watch that. And I'm definitely going to, I'll listen to the podcast and link to that. And I do want to say we, we have the cards and the book and we've been trying it. So yay, <laughs> um, just it's a yes. practice. It's a practice. Just keep going, you know, check in every single week. It becomes easier as you practice more like anything. Yeah. And it's great to have something tangible too. Um, well, I always love to ask what authors have been reading lately. Do you have any books you would want to recommend to listeners? Absolutely. I think I, I, I've been revisiting Bell Hooks. She was such an important part of my undergraduate career. Um, and so I would say, you know, there's many books to start with with her, but The Will to Change is such a beautiful book around men and masculinity and what we need from men at this at this stage of of this great reckoning that's happening with the pandemic. Um, her work is even more relevant than it was when she wrote it. So that would be one that I've been, it's on my nightstand right now. But the one I just finished, Laura, the book I just finished that I love so much is a book called Between Two Kingdoms by Suleika Jihad. I don't know if you've read it yet, but- No, I um, haven't. I, I would say that is a book that, so speaks to what we're talking about, the the importance of creativity during tough times, the importance of resilience. What does it make be what does it mean to be resilient? Suleika is someone who was diagnosed with leukemia right after college. And it's a whole exposition into her, the caregiving journey. Her boyfriend left his career to caregive for her, which is so subversive, back to that word when you are um, a young man who just recently graduated from Harvard. And so it goes through their journey of caregiving. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful book on resilience, creativity, and caregiving. All the things that, it's like all the, my values and things I care about sort of in one. Yeah. So I'll have to link to that and definitely check that out. And 
that was sort of making me wonder too. I'm curious kind of where your curiosity is taking you next. I'm sure you're very busy, um, you know, bringing this book out into the world, but have you um, started to think about what's next for your next book? Yes, I um, I started the Fair Play Policy Institute, which is uh, a foundation now that's going to be supplementing, as we said, sort of this individual work, the agency work with the individual taking agency in your own life work with more systemic policies. And so I think my next book will be around fair play in the workplace. Ooh, okay. Very Understanding needed. how we use these organizational systems and ironically fair play in the home came out of organizational management theory in the workplace, but nobody uses that theory to manage their employees. They just throw around words like psychological safety and think that's going to work. Um, so I, I really want to take a deep dive into the beautiful things I'm seeing when when organizations actually get it right. Oh, that's great. And I feel like so much has changed with work during these past two years. It'll be um, an interesting time for, I think, organizations to, to think about yes. what they could do differently or better. Or, um, well, I so appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. I'm really looking forward to listening to the podcast and continuing to engage with your work. And just thank you for all the work that you're doing. And um, if listeners want to stay connected with you, I can link to your website. Is there anywhere else you'd want to send them? Well, of course, uh, Instagram is a great place because you can get Fair Play Life, which is our Instagram handle that is all things books. Um, but then Eve Rodsky, I always answer DMs if anybody has any questions about the implementation of these practices. We try to answer direct messages once a week. So you can reach me in those places on LinkedIn, but I would say the best place is Instagram. Wonderful. Well, Eve, thank you so much for being here and, and best of luck with the book. And I hope listeners pick it up. I hope librarians order it for their libraries. Um, and um, I'll definitely link to, I hope people check out, I think you have a lot of different virtual events and things going on. So I'll link to that as well. Thank you, Laura. And have a really, 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 really good day. <laughs> for links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit a bookishhome.com. And there you'll also find a link to our new online bookshop. Um, a Bookish Home has teamed up with the new organization bookshop.org, which supports independent bookstores. And if you'd like, you can browse books by authors who have been guests on A Bookish Home. I'm also sharing there all of the books mentioned on the podcast, books I've been reading lately, and other recommendations. It's a really wonderful site to browse and look through books. And if you make a purchase, it supports A Bookish Home and independent bookstores. So it's a win-win. So if you want to check that out directly, it's bookshop.org slash shop slash A Bookish Home. And you'll also find that at abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.